Macro. Okay, eh? Very nice. Very nice. Very indeed. nice. Right. It's funny when I say right like that. Everybody, or a lot right. of people know instantly what I'm talking about. It's like, is that Monty Python? Yeah, dude. I don't talk like that. Naturalmente. But it's uh, it's pretty great. That, that recognizability of a single word said in a slight mediocre sl- accent. Slightly. See, whenever I try to do that, I've just been, like, reciting Albuquerque in an Australian accent <laughs> while waiting for James and Nathan to finish their, fix their audio issues before the, mm, so we, we started until recording. The tail end of it. Oh, dear. But I heard, like, but, two words, and I was like, oh, well, you said sauerkraut. I was like, he's been he's been uh, reciting Albuquerque with an, <laughs> with an accent this whole time, hasn't he? Indeed, I have. So, yeah, that was my... Uh, that was your my vocal warm-up? That was my vocal warm-up. But <laughs> whenever I try to do a British accent, immediately after having done Australian, it just it's, doesn't it's work. Tr- it, it's tricky, yeah. Um, I can't go... I, I just want to say Beck. I can't say Beck anymore. Yeah. That's not British. That's Thank not British. Back. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting when you're doing impressions of accents. And sometimes you can, like, if you really concentrate, you can, like, switch between them pretty accurately. But then, if they're like, too similar, then it's kind of tough. Because, like, Australian accents are basically just a bent-out-of-shape British accent, and it mm-hmm. kind of likes to stay that way once you've it's done like it. It's like the fork of the British accent got stuck in the garbage disposal of geography, and out came the Australian accent. Actually, that's <laughs> most English-speaking accents. Yeah. Let's be and real. then the New Zealand accent, the Australian accent, then got stuck in the garbage disposal of the Australian accent and mm-hmm. ended up becoming New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Yep. But slightly more bent. It was in there for like a split second longer. Um, it, uh, it got like bent in half or, or the veils got shortened up. Mm-hmm. Wrong, wrong like that. And the only reason there's an Irish accent is because the British forced them to speak English. Yes. Mm. But there's really like a billion Irish accents. Yeah, because there's different dialects within Ireland itself. The Gaelic, I believe, right? It's not Gaelic. Well, er, um, uh, w- people in America and maybe England call it Gaelic, but the Irish people call it Irish. Oh, yeah. We speak Irish. We speak Irish. It's Irish. Duh. Uh-huh. That when you say right. Gaelic, they have, like, they have like a slight variation on soccer that they call. You know, it's Gaelic football, but Gaelic is the shorthand. So when you say the huh. word Gaelic, that's what they think of. Oh, yeah. And when you say boot, um, it could be either something you wear on your feet or where you stick stuff in the car. That nice. one doesn't make a ton of sense. I think that's a British thing, too. But Or it could just be starting your computer up. Because a tr- the trunk is already taken by a suitcase. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can't call it a trunk because that would mean the, the thing you carry your stuff around in through the airport so they needed a new word for it and they said hmm, this is roughly speaking the back of the car let's call it the boot 
Mm-hmm. And then let's just go to the other side of the car and call that the bonnet. Yep. Mm-hmm. And... Okay, never mind. I'll, I'll spare the anatomy jokes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, let's see. There's some other... I think when you read old American literature, like from the turn of the century, like 1900s and stuff, and like... Uh, a lot, a lot of British words and things make a little more sen- like sense when you're used to reading that type of stuff, because American English used to be fairly similar. Well, a lot of, at least in like the like the um, formal American speech that they use for writing books, so the most people could understand. I remember <clears throat> contrast that though with like if you hmm. read the Red Badge of Courage, for example, it is written. As if the people were speaking it. So there's a lot of apostrophes and split up words that are not normal. So for my freshman in high school brain, it was like, what? <laughs> or what is that word? It's it's trying to read. It's like trying to read unupdated David Hume. Mm. Where it's just like a Scottish man writing in, you know, 1770s, you know, British parlance. And it's just like, there's just apostrophes everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fortunately, for most of my main texts in class, I haven't had to. But there was one chapter in this anthology that we have that wasn't assigned. But being a philosophy nerd, I read it. Some of it anyway. And it's just like, oh gosh. Oh, old syntax. Oh, <laughs> Half the work. Brain. <clears throat> you have to translate what he's saying. And then you have to synthesize what what he's and saying. You, you have to translate what he's saying into modern English, and then you have to understand it. Mm-hmm. It's hard enough to understand what modern philosophers are saying when you can read it in their native language. Yep. Right. Never mind a translation. Yep. Because a lot so of little things get lost in the minutia of translation. Just but even context. Even if you do read it in their native language, it's still... Hard to read just because it's a it's philosophy. Thing. Well, ancient philosophy is not that way. Sure, That's translations been... do definitely like um, reduce the amount of meaning. It at least in English because we have words that are so poor. <laughs> whereas Greeks are just so they rich. were very efficient. With you could have one word uh, mean several different things based on. Context. Well, that's actually not at all how Greek works. They have no. We're we're that efficient. They aren't. That's what we do. We take one word and we apply to it many meanings. Whereas they have unique words. Oh wait, yeah, no, I flipped that. I flipped the distinctions. Yes. Yeah. I flipped that. So they have like six different words for love because there are different kinds of love, and they use all of these different terms that mean substantially different things. Whereas we have we have words that we could use, but there's nothing as succinct as a single word in most cases to adequately describe the concepts we're using. So mm-hmm. there's that. It's interesting when somebody throws a new word at at me in a conversation, and I was like, "Oh, I understood based on context what you were saying, but now I have to go look up that word." <laughs> um. Oh, what was the? Uh, I think people say, or like different forms of a word, um, <clears throat> like uh, 
if something has a capacity for something, another way to say it is it's capacious. Oh. Which makes sense. And I was like, you know, that does make sense, but I never, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought to use that. I think I was listening to like a episode of God's planning or whatever with uh father. Um, oh, shoot. Father Gregory Pine. Audacity, you okay? Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, it looks like Audacity is okay. It was, oh. And we're just going to keep rolling. <coughs> keep rolling. Discord committed die for some reason. Are we keeping this in the thing? May as well. I, I don't have to clap again. This is this is content. This is certainly content. Wait, so you can still hear us? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Because the, <laughs> the Discord window completely like shut off, and now I'm just starting it back up. Yeah, it packages the the audio and video separately. I'm assuming you kept rolling. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's uh, let's keep going then. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I presently can't see them, but I I know that they're there. So we, um, can, we can podcast like that. Yep. They got we got the spinning purple blocks. Spinning purple blocks. Speaking of spinning purple blocks, how's everybody's week been so far? <laughs> I may have right. had the only thing this weekend that uh, involved blocks. <laughs> uh, so my dad's remodeling the house. Um, and pretty much the whole thing's tore up. There's only like the master bedroom, the kitchen, and the garage is the new living space. Which does not have electricity. If it did have electricity, it would be like... Illegal and findable. Findably illegal, I think, is what we said. Um, so it does not have electricity in it. No, no, it does not. No. Anyway, so I, I helped Dad a little bit in the basement because we're moving a staircase. And to do that, we need new, like, uh, support beams for the floor joists and stuff. But when the basement was laid and poured and stuff like that, right... Um, they had like the floor beams for the first floor and then they like poured concrete around and so there's like concrete between the floor joists which is annoying because now we have to uh we had to break apart some uh some concrete with a with a rock hammer well not mm. like a rock polishing hammer like a like a like a handheld jackhammer but basically uh, you didn't say that to the microphone, yes, but we got busy. We got busy live. We got busy living. We'll all, say all, can, all Riley can see is just my thumbnail right now. So I mean, this is right with a, a, a background blob color correspondent to the dominant color of the thumbnail image, <laughs> as Discord does, <laughs> which we, uh, audibly portrays uh, Re, uh, Remy. Uh, Ratatouille. Of Ratatouille fame, choking on the terrible soup that Linguini has made, <laughs> uh, because for whatever reason my computer camera refuses to work. Actually, I think at that point oh, he had only smelled it. Anyway, yeah, he's hey. anyway. So I I I, I uh, got to remove a block of cement this weekend. <laughs> uh, so yeah, because I went home for my brother's thirteenth birthday. Like you do. Like you do. 
I'm going to go home. So we celebrate our birthdays around here with blocks of cement. Here you go. <laughs> uh, that's, that's something you now know about Minnesota. Yep. Well, I learned something today. <laughs> one, one thing that... You know how like, you have your anniversaries, right? Golden anniversary, golden birthday, diamond birthday. This was his cement birthday. Yep. This is, <laughs> he's 13. <laughs> the foundations, of, the foundations of his manhood are being laid. Strips and uh, concrete. <laughs> The found, uh, in a manner of speaking, the foundations of his manhood are being laid. Oh, did I refer to it as a block of cement? I hope no. You did. Civil, no civil. I hope, I hope no I hope, civil I hope engineers none of are our civil engineers. Well, <laughs> I apologize. If there are civil, civil engineer engineers. we know probably doesn't listen to this. Podcast, if there are any so. civil engineers listening to this podcast, and I know you are, what's your deal complain. with Deal with it. Please. Or email us at playdiamondsetgmail.com. I love roundabouts. They are such good engineering. They don't work in every intersection, though. They work in every intersection where all of the participants using them know how to work a roundabout, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is most of the not Americans. Or when the speed limit is such that slowing down into the roundabout is a reasonable thing to do. <laughs> the thing about roundabouts is you have to know where you're trying to go beforehand. And it depends on you how also big you have to know how are. roundabouts work. Yeah. And you know where to get off of the roundabout. Because a lot of people just go into autopilot while they're driving. And so if you're not paying attention, it can be easy to be confused by a roundabout. You um, get really turned around. Yeah. You spin me right round, baby. Right round. Like a record. Like a record. <laughs> but actually, though, I can't tell you how many, how many roundabouts I've seen tire tracks on that median thing, though. <laughs> Modern roundabouts. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, that that was speaking my of cement week. slash concrete. I was I forget if I talked about when when I talked about this. I was just been like in the car or something. But um, we I was watching Monsters Inc. with John and Faith last week, and there's that part where Boo, like Sully's trying to get Boo to go to sleep. And he pulls up a couple cinder blocks and sit on them. I'm just like, his room. Why, why does he have cinder blocks just sitting there? Like, I didn't question this until I was a 24 year old man. But like, why? Wait, why does Sully have cinder blocks in his room? Workout purposes, I guess. This, I mean, that's sort of always what I assumed growing up. I was just like, huh? I don't know why that detail. I seized on that detail, but but I also like. In that scene, just how effortly, effortlessly he pushes them because mm-hmm. he's huge. <laughs> yep. Anyway, I'll kidnap a thousand children before I let this podcast die. That's <laughs> if we ever do that, uh, if we get to that point, I think if we we're review no that movie, then that's going to be the episode title. I'll kidnap a thousand That's for children. sure. I'll <laughs> kidnap a thousand. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe considering not. That, yeah. uh, and the thumbnail is Mr. Waters with a gun. We're trying not to shoot ourselves completely in the foot. <laughs> um, uh, there's six between the three of us. What? We got at feet to shoot. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> 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 not kids. Feet. Uh and moving on. <laughs> Speaking of feet. Oh, we're the Palladian <laughs> Papists. I'm James. I'm Nathan. And I'm Riley. Uh, <laughs> we're, uh, we're not talking about uh, uh, monsters. We're not like talking about week. feet. <laughs> oh, please, <Lord>, no. <laughs> it depends on the uh, movie we will. Speaking of about. feet, we're doing philosophical today. <laughs> uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. In a world. 
where one man will decide whether to pull a lever and kill one man, or not pull a lever and allow five people to die. Find out in Philosophical. <laughs> So yeah, Philosophical is part of the podcast where we get philosophical about films. But not feet. Because, Please, anyway. No. So but, yeah, we're talking about Marvel's Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, a suit longtime fan of the podcast will probably point out, didn't you guys already talk about the MCU? Yes, but that was early podcast days and we sort of blew over the whole thing. Right. A bit off more than we could chew there. So well, we're we, gonna, we focused on like the main Avenger characters, Iron Man and Tony, and a little bit of Hulk and Black mm-hmm. Widow in there because they're kind of the main characters of like the universe series the as a whole. The overarching narrative. Right. Yep. So now Whereas we're going to go back we and... We really touched lightly on some of the side pockets like, uh, like your Doctor Strange's or your Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff. And so... We're going to pop back and revisit some of them along the way here and there. Right. So, uh, the first Guardians of the Galaxy film uh, begins uh, in space yep. uh, in modern day 2014-ish, <laughs> <laughs> where you have like this remote planet with like a temple vault thing uh, that a certain notorious Mysterious criminal spaceman. dancing to... Uh, uh, 80s music uh, comes to steal an ancient orb artifact. His name is Peter Quill, better known as Star Lord, man. Who? <laughs> but um. yeah, uh, so he's actually not better known as Star Lord. Nobody knows who he is. <laughs> um, so no, Star Lord uh, gets this orb from this temple thing. Uh, run has a run in with some. Uh, Thugs hired by a big bad in space called Ronan the Accuser, who's kind of just there to be big and bad and want the Power Stone, which is later revealed to be in the orb. But after doing that, Peter Quill gets like, he promptly gets uh, captured by the. No, he goes to. He meets back up with his pirate crew, with his. Well, he goes to Xandar to try to sell, to pawn off the the orb to this guy. Assassin is being sent after him to recover the orb. An assassin working for Ronin. uh, Because she's been loaned out to Ronin by Thanos, who wants the stone. And it's because of Infinity Saga stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So they get in a fight. And Uh, Rocket... The raccoon and his boy Groot, the tree, tree man, man, roll in and like, hey, these, this guy's worth a lot of money. Let's get him. So Gamora and Groot and Rocket are all fighting over. Um, um, well, Peter Rocket Quill. and Groot are fighting are fighting over P- Quill, and Gamora's fighting over the stone, and Peter Quill's just fighting to get out. Mm-hmm. And they all get arrested for being a public nuisance, and also you know being thieves and assassins mm-hmm. and such. Yep. So and, they get yeah. to prison. They get hooked on a feeling. Yeah. Uh, they get... <laughs> they're high on believing. That you're in love with me sort of thing. Yep. So they're, they're in prison and uh, they're like, man, we got we to gotta bust out of prison. Because uh, a lot of people don't like Gamora in prison because she works for Thanos. And Thanos killed a lot of people. Such as the family of a certain Drax the Destroyer. 
a bald, tattooed guy who takes everything literally. Basically just Dave Bautista with a lot of makeup. <laughs> right. Um, so they decide to escape and get the orb back and sell it for a bunch of money and split it between the, the all of them. Even though Gamora's like, I want to take you... Ulterior motives. Yeah, they all have ulterior motives. But they all have ulterior motives pointed in the same directed, uh, direction. And so they team up and break out of prison in a great big action scene riot. Um, and it's fun. And then they get in the ship and they fly to a place called Nowhere. K-N-O-W-W-H-E-R-E. Um, and it's inside of a giant Titanic-like skull of a celestial being. Uh, it's like the city inside this giant skull. And it's kind of cool. So Peter and Gamora... And I think Rocket go to see the collector to sell their rock, um, while the <laughs> other guys are. Uh, Don't are, get any more of that yeah. rock. <laughs> I ain't playing. But yeah, they'll they'll go try and sell the rock to the collector, and it's like, oh, um, I'm gonna be a bl- uh, exposition for the Infinity Stones and what they are. By the way, like, this thing can zap a lot of people. It's basically like a one of the most powerful things in the universe. There's about six of them. And uh, thank you for adding it to my collection. And they're like, oh uh, like, crap, this is dangerous. We can't just let this thing get this out there. This will make a fine addition to my collection. <laughs> yeah. I'm just imagining someone building a lightsaber, but instead of like a kyber crystal in the middle, it's just, just one of the stones. stones. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah. Anyway, so there's there's a bit of a, a ruckus there with the, infin- with the uh, Infinity Gem like exploding because the the collector servant girl tried to touch it and got blown up because it, she couldn't handle it. And Ronan's goons show up and try well, to take the orb. Ronan's goons show up because Drax got drunk and called him to get revenge on his for, for his, his for his uh, family. Uh, but he gets absolutely thrashed uh, because Drax is no match for. Uh, Really. Well, he's blind with rage and grief. And also slightly drunk. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's this big hubbub fight in the city. Uh, they get kind of beat up, and uh, Nebula is Gamora's sister. She shows up and fights, and Gamora gets like left in space to float around for a bit before Peter jumps out and saves her. And they're picked up by Yondu, who's a... Blue guy with a uh, metal mohawk. And, that he uh, uses to control his flying arrow. Right. Uh, he's And he's the captain of a, the Ravagers, which are these mercenary pirate types that float around space. And he had raised, he kidnapped and raised Peter. Because Peter is from Earth. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Yondu picked him up. No, I think, um, shoot. Um, crap, that guy's name we were just talking about. Why am I forgetting already? Whomst. Uh, the bad guy, the main bad Ronin? guy. Ronan. Ronan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ronan. So he took the power. He took the orb at some point, right in the yep. hubbub, and so he goes off to execute his evil plan. Go to like the capital city of space Zandar. and uh, blow it up because got... they killed his father or something. Well, because he's like a Cree or something, and he's like mad and stuff. He's evil. He's there to be evil. He's not much of a villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is. Just kind of the bad guy, a reason to unite against, like, Thanos Jr. Yeah. Even though he's not the 
son of Thanos. He's just a smaller I mean, version. Um, he has Thanos two. even calls him Diet boy. Thanos. Thanos <laughs> even calls him boy. <laughs> boy. So anyway, they're with the Ravagers, and they're all and Yonder's all mad. Like, hey, Quill, you had the Power Stone and stuff. Uh, we You're wanted to bring that You're back to, to bring us. that to me, and we had a deal. And didn't I raise you? Didn't I tell the boys not to eat you? And Peter's like, white. That's not a normal f- thing. <laughs> um, and then they they kind of agree, like, okay, we should. How about we all go stop Ronan? We'll get your 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 ball back. Uh, and then if we'll also save some people along the way, right? We we can be self interested and save people along the way, right? That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Rocket and Groot and Drax show up in the sh- in the the Delano Seven, uh, Peter Quill's ship, and is like, "Hey, I'm gonna blow you up if I don't get Quill back." It's like, "Hey, we're, we're we agree on stopping Ronin, so don't blow us up. We're cool." He's like, "Oh, okay." Anyway, so now they go. To stop Rodin's forces from blowing up the planet. Uh, and there's a bit of a a moment with the team as they come together. Uh, like, we kind of suck. How are we going to pull this off? It's like, you know what? We do, and we're going to do it. It's like, <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> um, so there's the big plan. Uh, Gamora fights Nebula. Uh, the the things get blown up. There's a spaceship battle. Um, and... One thing leads to another. I think they like get into Ronin's like throne room command center chamber and try and blow him up, but it, it doesn't because he's got the power stone mm-hmm. in his in his hammer and he's super powerful now. Um, so they only really end up crashing his like flagship into the planet, and now they're just kind of in the wreckage. And Ronin's like, "Hey, I'm a I'm a blow up the planet now, okay." And Peter Quill's like, uh, "How about how about we dance off instead?" And he's like, "What? Mm-hmm. Dance off? You and me? What are you doing? I'm distracting you." He gets tackled by a bunch of people. Uh, they grab, manage to grab the power stone, but uh, Peter's like he goes about all to sicko mode and right. He goes sicko mode, but he's about to like you know fall apart because he's a, a one guy who's not quite uh, strong enough. enough to hold it. In, in so they all stone. hold hands because it's a. It's an imagery theme in this movie. That and the energy is being distributed among them. Right, right, right. Um, And they use the power of the Power Stone to blast the Ronin. uh, And he just disintegrates. Uh, They put the the stone in a a ball again. And uh, happily, they saved the day. Yay. Woo. Also, Groot died, but not actually. Oh yeah, he 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 died saving them from the impact. But now, uh, now there is a baby Groot. There's a baby Groot because Rocket saved uh, saved a splinter and planted it. Uh, and so afterwards, they get uh, pardoned by the space government. They're like, "Hey, stop, stop being bad, okay?" And he's like, "Sure, we'll we'll be bad as little as possible," which is not exactly the most reassuring, but. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as a team, now that they've become kind of a found family, they fly off into the sunset and into a sequel. Yep. Also, they make Yondu think he got the the ball back, but he didn't. They left it with space police government to put it in a vault. Not that that really does anything because Thanos shows up just with it at the beginning of Endgame and Infinity War anyway. Mm -hmm. But um, so, yeah, that's kind of where things end in the first one. 
do we want to talk about the second one at all? <sighs> I, mean, there's, I mean, it's fun, and it's got some interesting yeah, little things in it. Yeah, let's go for it. I mean, it's... Yeah. I, I haven't seen it as recently, so I'll, we'll have to do more broad strokes, because mm. um, turns out uh, Peter Quill isn't actually 100% human. There's a, there's a ancient space uh, celestial being powerful guy mm-hmm. called uh, Ego, and he's... Uh, he's the dad of Peter Quill, so Peter's got uh, some. Boy. Yeah, dad of this particular boy. Yes. Um, and so that's <clears throat> part of the reason he could contain the Power Stone's power as much as he could. It's because he has celestial blood in him. Yeah. So the second movie starts off they're they're being hired by this soup this this race of people on a planet to protect their massive super valuable batteries from this giant space octopus monster. Fun fight scene, fun music. Baby Groot's cute. Rocket steals some of the batteries as a joke, and the these people find out and get really mad, so they send their drone army after them. So as they're running away from the drone army, they crash land on a planet and are found by um, Peter Quill's dad, Ego. I'm your space dad. I'm your space dad. <laughs> uh, He's like, hey, come to come to my planet, and uh, we'll catch up on catch all up this on time. father son time. And Gamora's like, mm, I don't trust him. Raccoon's like, screw you guys. I'm going to fix the ship. And then, uh, meanwhile, Yondu and the Ravagers catch up trying to find Peter Quill. Um, get a little bit of revenge on him. Well, no, they uh, the uh, the space battery people put a bounty on their heads for stealing the battery. So mm-hmm. Yondu goes to collect on that bounty, although he's secretly trying to protect Peter. Because he kind of turns out as a soft spot for him. And also... Raise him and all. Right. And his crew aren't exactly all about that. So after they capture Rocket and Groot, who were the ones left behind, um, the crew mutinies and takes over the ship um, and makes Yondu a prisoner with Rocket and Groot. Um, So uh, Yondu and Rocket and Groot work together and hatch a massive escape set piece and they escape with one of the loyal members of the crew um, and blow up the remains of the ship with Taser face and company on board. Um, so they go off and then meanwhile, Gamora, Drax and uh, Mantis, this empath alien who is like the, the maidservant of uh, ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go to the planet and ego is showing them around like, See, all this will be yours if you join me. Everything the light touches yeah. <laughs> will be your kingdom. And Peter's like, you know what? This is really join cool. Join me, and together we can rule the galaxy. Because I've mean, actually kind of planted bits of me all over the galaxy, so when I do the With thing... our powers combined, we can envelop the entire galaxy and make it part of us. That's actually the whole point of me creating you. I wanted to have a successor to share it with. Also, uh, also, I also I kind of like cancer. gave your mom cancer <laughs> because like, I'm space guy. What? So Nebula shows up and fights Gamora and they're like, wait, something's very wrong. And it turns out the reason why Yandu had been sent to kidnap Peter was because he had been hired by uh, by, by Ego, Ego to to get him. Be- and because he's, he's, he's been doing that for a long time, actually. Yeah, collecting Peter wasn't the his only kid sired. that he tried to... Uh, because he was trying to get somebody who would inherit his celestial being genes. And uh, be able to contain the power 
Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them couldn't, as evident by the bones they find buried underneath the uh, the utopia garden that Eagle lives on. And so Peter's all mad because you killed my mom. And his friends are all like, yep, we got to kill this guy. So they have to blow up his giant brain in the middle, his big brain in the middle of the planet. Because like the, the body he has, that's all Russell or Kurt Russell-y, mm-hmm. is uh, actually just kind of an extension, not his being. Yep. He's actually a giant planet, and at some point the whole planet just has his face. <laughs> it's kind yep. of funny, but it's also exactly like the comics, so that ridiculousness is warranted. Yeah. <laughs> Yandu, uh, Groot, and Rocket show up, and they join the fight, and also the yellow battery people show up because they're so mad about stealing the batteries. So they use that to their advantage. Mm-hmm. So the, there's a giant battle. Um, Baby Groot takes a bomb to the center of the planet and they blow it up. Um, Yondu's Mary Poppins, y'all. And then they get into space, but there's only one spacesuit. And Yondu gives it to Peter to save him. And because now that uh, ego's disintegrating, his celestial power's going He might away. have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. Um, so yeah, he sacrifices his life to save Peter. And, oh, because of the uh, kidnapping the kids thing, Yandu had been sort of um, exiled from, like, the main Ravager clans or whatever for breaking mm-hmm. their code. And, but after he sacrificed himself to save Peter, he sort of redeemed himself, and so they have a proper Ravager funeral for him at the end, and it's kind of a nice little scene. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, volumes one and two, more or less, summarized. There'll be a third one eventually, I think. Eventually, yeah. And they might have Adam Warlock. They might not. Yeah, because they please, tease that. Please, 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 Yeah. Um, Adam Warlock in MCU. I, I am not familiar enough with him as a character. I know he's like very like connected to the Infinity Saga in the comics. He really should have been in the Infinity Saga movies, but... They decided Captain Marvel instead. But anyway, we're not going to get into that. Uh, what do we like about the Guardians of the Galaxy films? Can you believe? Okay, the first one came out seven years ago. How nuts is that? Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember it like it was yesterday. Oh yeah, seven years past. My junior year of high school. Well, because at this point, I think, um, I think Civil War or not Civil War, uh, Winter Soldier had just come out. And then over that summer, um, who the heck are the Guardians of the Galaxy? This is another Marvel movie? This is in the same universe? Okay. It was like and everyone's the, like, it's really weird, but it's kind of great. They have highly different vibes than the rest of the MCU. Yes. Right. The that time, was like their first very really experimental. experimental one. Like, up until like the Age of Ultron, they were pretty formulaic, the MCU movies. Mm-hmm. But then Guardians happened. And it kind of did something different. Then Ant-Man happened, and it was more heist movie than anything. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it was at that point that they started to diversify and feel more varied and different. You had winter. Yeah. With the bright colors and wacky space adventures and the soundtrack and everything. and like the, the neon 80s characters. aesthetic-ish thing it going on. really works. Yeah. It's a very... It's... The, the Guardians films are very fun. And, and that's definitely the vibe they were going for. Right. And I love how, like... This is like one of the first times the the whole premise is kind of wacky, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a guy, a green lady, a tree, and a raccoon, and giant like, tattoo muscle man. Right? They're they're on a team. This is like a superhero team, and mm-hmm. it's kind of weird and comic book crazy. In space. And they leaned into it. 
mm-hmm. and they made it work because they didn't take themselves so seriously that we couldn't take them seriously. Mm-hmm. Well, like even at the beginning of the movie, Starlord or er, er, Peter Cole is trying to be like, "I'm Star Lord," and these and these they're like, "What kind of a guys name like, is Star Lord?" Yeah, they're they're kind of making fun of him. <laughs> so uh, it they lampshade their ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of makes it so fun and works so well. Mm-hmm. But would um, what would we say like the theme of the first movie would be like the major theme? I think the major theme of both of them is family. Mm-hmm. Because family. family, it's even got Vin Diesel. Come on, yeah, it does have. He Vin says Diesel. I am Vin Groot. Diesel is Groot. So but at the end of the first family, movie, Vin he says we are Groot. True. Yeah. So it's 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 a family so, but like movie. Rocket is like this adoptive dad to Groot mm-hmm. or caretaker in the first one, but very much a dad in the second one. Mm-hmm. You've got this scuffle between sisters. Um, Thanos is a father Nebula. figure to them. Um, Peter's relationship with both of his previous his fathers, like his uh, one his, Yondu who raised him, and then his biological dad. Who um, wants to take over the universe? Deals with the loss of his mother at the beginning of the movie when he was a boy, because Ego gave her cancer. Um, and then there's uh, Drax, whose family was murdered at the hands of Ronan, and also he kind of, in the second film, really connects with uh, with Mantis and kind of becomes a uh, big brother, father-ish figure to her. Who- I- I'd say the first movie is more of like a redemption anti, like a sort of anti-hero redemption, and then mm-hmm. the second movie is really leans into family, because yes. obviously by the end of the first movie they sort the, of start the, to form a the family. But... The like found family breadcrumbs are set in the first movie, yeah, but yep. then they're expounded upon in the second one. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But redemption is also a theme that happens in both. Mm-hmm. You've got. Um, both Gamora and Nebula, who are these assassins mm-hmm. who are kind of cold-hearted and not only living for themselves and to please their father, that, uh, who's and never like, satisfied. Uh, Rocket's kind of um, facade of being kind of a crass uh, troll, even though who he likes to mess with people, but it's sort of to to mask over the pain he feels because he was he's a raccoon a sentient raccoon who's created through these terrible experiments so he's dealt with a lot of pain and trauma in his life which he tries to mask over with just being kind of a sarcastic butt to everyone around him and yandu in the second movie points that out to him is like you know you're being a, a crass sarcastic mean person you and i you and i were not so different <laughs> You need to quit the act and start caring about. And the thing is, caring for and about people. The thing is, Rocket's paired up with Groot, who is the most innocent mm-hmm. and naive and just self-giving creature in the entire galaxy. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a toxic, one-sided relationship for most of the first movie. Mm-hmm. Groot's kind of Rocket's muscle, but then by the end of it, you do see that Rocket really does care for Groot. So I think like the yeah the first one definitely has that redemption aspect to it. Also, mm-hmm. So I think the two main themes of the, these movies are redemption and family. Yeah, and then Yandu's character like he manages to because um, Peter grew was you know he grew up to not having a dad in his life, and so Yandu was really sort of that figure to him who raised him and made him into 
kind of a fierce mercenary warrior um, under threats of being eaten, of course. But uh, <laughs> um, whereas uh, he and he truly deep down cares about Peter, whereas ego is all about himself, as the name would imply. Mm-hmm. Um, Real subtle there, Marvel. He's yeah, he's uh, he's all about using Peter to achieve a higher end and doesn't really care about him as his own son. Mm-hmm. As he ought to. Um, yeah, I guess any anything to add, Riley? No, I I think you guys have really hit on the stuff I find enjoyable about it. Mm-hmm. Just the the aesthetic and the kind of crazy fun fan family thing that is going on there. Mm-hmm. Also, you've got um, Peter Quill's like connection with his mother. Yeah, because she left him like a. Uh, Mixtape, tape, like a mixtape of like 80s music. And he listens to it. He's got like a, a tape player in his spaceship mm-hmm. <laughs> because, of course, he does. But he like also listens to it on his Walkman he had as a kid. And that's like how he kind of keeps his connection to home mm-hmm. by listening to the music. But it also just acts as really fun uh, music to accompany the set pieces. Mm-hmm. You've got just all these really fun 80s songs. A lot of the time... When they do like, when in soundtracks, they just borrow songs. It can sometimes feel cheap, but I feel like the way they've crafted it's a thematic this movie, choice in this movie, right? I think the way they've themed the movie and around Peter Quill was a kid in the eighties, and he's kind of stuck there, wants to go home, sort of thing, but also carrying around the last bit of his mother that died. Mm-hmm. It's so I think that's another like cool thing that lends itself to the aesthetic and the vibe and the action sequences with the music blaring but also it works itself into the narrative a bit Hmm. particularly in the second one there's actually one bit in the second one that actually annoys me quite a bit though what's that so in the beginning of the movie there's that flashback scene to when ego was on earth with peter's mom oh yeah and in the background there's the song sorry there's a song um called brandy playing in the background right yeah brandy you're a fine girl so like it is perfect for that moment because it's like oh i know what's going on this is him the song has this connection to the characters where he's like a sailor going to sea sort of thing uh he's not gonna stay long but he's gonna hold love forever whatever mm-hmm. but like later in the movie i mean the song comes up a couple more times cause it's on his mixtape or whatever and ego has to explain the symbolism of the song, and I'm like, dude, you don't have to explain that. I liked it when it was subtle. Now yeah. I don't like it. Stop it. <laughs> but most other people aren't as familiar as at least Who cares? Age. Who cares? If they don't get it, they don't get it. If you get it, you get it, and it's that much cooler. Sure. <laughs> but it's like, that. that's like one of the things that annoyed me. It's like, oh, you're over-explaining. Stop over-explaining, please. <laughs> And I think, in general, the second one went a little uh, more extreme in some areas. I was like, that's not as fun. I just yeah, to go the humor exactly got a there. little more crass unnecessarily at, at points. I mean, it was yep. still fun, still a good movie. Mm-hmm. But, but there was a point with Yondu going to town. I'm like, eh, this is mildly excessive. Mm-hmm. I, I think, in general, yeah, the second one was fun, but like a little self-indulgent. Yeah. Curious to see what they do with the third one. 
particularly if Thor's going to be involved. Thor is going to be involved. He's on the ship, so he's gonna he's gonna be part of the story for at least. And right. Peter's definitely still the captain. Are they going to be the Asgardians of the galaxy? I hope that comes up. I hope that's a bit <laughs> that they do. That, that That'll yeah. be fun. Because that's the thing that happened in the comics, actually. Yep. So uh, there's not a whole lot of Asgardians left floating around. No, no they're all kind of like in Iceland or something. Right, like Lady Sif is just their governor in Norway or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Norway, where they belong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where their names won't sound ridiculous. Uh, let's see. I suppose with that, should we get into our transcendental analysis? Spores. Spores. Right. Truth. Uh, what are some truths we can find in Guardians of the Galaxy? You may be your father, but, but he you're, ain't your you're daddy. daddy. Sometimes it, it turns out the real Guardians of the Galaxy yeah, are the, the friends, friends we made along the way. way. We have not done that in a while. <laughs> we, did we did it not too long ago. I can't remember what. I, don't I was listening was. to one of our episodes with one of my classmates. Shout out, Felix. Hey, Felix. On my hey, way Felix. to ministry. And we did that bit, I think, in the um, Toy Story episode. Oh, sure. So, it hasn't been that long. Only, like, <laughs> a month and a half. Yeah. Um, anyway. At any rate, that's not the truth. Well, okay, that is. <laughs> it is the truth. It, it, it works. Into it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, that's not the only truth we can find in Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. Although, it, I, uh, to be fair, it is kind of part of the major thematic material. Right, exactly. So, like the. It's an apt joke. It's like. Uh... Well, there's sort of the Marvel themes about, you know, setting aside differences with others to. Come together. Come together. Um, right is that played at any point? No, that's a 60s song. Okay. I mean, there are some older than 80s songs in that playlist, but no. Right. Uh, um, anyway. But anyway, setting side differences for the greater, you know, for the greater good and saving lives and so forth. That's very much present here um, in, well, in both films. Right, um, because they because are a first, very, like, diverse and disparate group that all have their own mo. Uh, right, they, they they're all, uh, at goals. the beginning. They're like, okay, we're gonna make a lot of money by selling the super powerful orb thing. Oh, turns out this is an incredibly dangerous super weapon that can, you know, vaporize a planet if you whack a hammer. We can't let this fall into the wrong hands, kind of a thing. So they're able to set aside greed in favor of you know saving lives and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the second movie, they're willing to lay their lives down for one another personally. And and Peter Quill's willing to like give up the promise of absolute power and a father he never had. Right. <laughs> um, because, uh, I mean, there's sort of the vague stakes of like a lot of, like the whole galaxy being in danger in the background, but, but it is a lot more personal. In the yeah. You feel one. like they're fighting a lot more for one another in, in the conflict of the second movie, which works just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's see. Anything else? Well, uh, I do feel like a lot of that was more goodness points than truth points. Yeah, yeah. Um, truth, I guess you need to deal with the wounds of your past. It's like another theme that comes up. Because, sure. you know, Peter's got his whole deal with his mother dying when he was young. Um, Rocket's got his whole deal with, you know, 
being experimented upon and made into some a trash panda. Yeah. No one is irredeemable. Yeah. Like, like even, got her thing. She was an assassin for the greatest murder in the universe. And Nebula was taken apart and rebuilt to be the greatest assassin she could be. Mm-hmm. And even she, more machine than human. Uh, yeah. Drax, you know, his whole family was murdered apart. and that still drives him, you know, the seeking revenge, but also finding healing and purpose. Right. Because in the end, revenge is empty. Mm-hmm. But it's this uh, these connections he makes with his new his new crew. Mm-hmm. This is his family. This is the people he protects now. Mm-hmm. Yep. So finding, it's a, a, finding purpose that way. Finding purpose in other people. Yeah. Really. Reject selfishness. Return to monkey. Wait. <laughs> no. Re- return. Uh, return to family. Mm-hmm. Monkey. Life <laughs> is more meaningful when lived for others. Is sort of a theme, or, or not a theme, but like a, a, a moral of. Guardians of the Galaxy, I'd say. Yeah. One lived for family. Family. Dang it, they need to have Groot say family at least once. See, you should just take that clip and edit it into every I Am Groot scene. Yeah. (laughs) Family. Family. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, Any other truth dealios in that? We're good? Okay, goodness. What is good in in the Guardians of the Galaxy neighborhood? Groot is good. Groot is the good. In he's the first movie. In the first movie. In the second one, he's a he's little... He's a vulgar child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit, yes. Un- Totally unbeknownst to anyone who doesn't speak Groot. However... <laughs> Rocket does speak Groot, and he's like, don't mm-hmm. talk to me like that. That's why you don't like hats? Because <laughs> <laughs> they take it off, and you realize that's not their head. That's why you don't like hats? <laughs> Where did you get that toe? <laughs> um, but yeah, Groot, Groot is wholesome stuff in the first movie. Um, and by the end of the second movie, it's implied that he's starting to become like a, he's, you know, in his turning regrowth. back into an adult Groot. Yeah, but teenager Groot for a little while. He plays a teenager Groot plays a bigger role in uh, Avengers Infinity yeah. War, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's the it's family. 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 Yeah. Um, it's that uh, setting aside of differences. It's that self-sacrifice of, of Yondu that, you know, redeems him and stuff. Because that's what a real dad would do. Exactly. Because, you know, like, you know, he wasn't Quill's real father, but he died, you know, laid down his life for him as he would his own son. So mm-hmm. he's able to find that redemption that way. Um, and, you know, make amends for his past mistakes that he'd done. Um, also, kind of like that that one pirate Ravager guy who sort of redeems himself a little bit too is kind of a minor character. But uh, um, Then you've got Gamora rejecting Thanos and being a good person. Thanos. And then, um, Thanos. And then Thanos. coaxing her sister to not be evil. Yep. And trying to be a loving sister to her because, you know, they were both. They were rivals. They were rivals, yeah. And for Thanos' approval, willing to, you know, I'm going to put some dirt in your eye, uh, you know, to get to the top. But they're able to set that aside and try to mend their relationship. Um, Let's see. Uh, Then, of course, some of the previous points we went over are just also good. Yeah. Um, beauty. What is beautiful in the Guardians of the Galaxy films? 
music and visuals. And the writing Good. is pretty clever. The writing's really funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, I mean, it's very like Marvel movie from the mid-2010s CG, mm-hmm. which is a good look. It's very... It it's, looks, they, lean, they, they finally leaned into the stylized part of it. Right. This is like when the MCU started to get a little stranger and wackier. Mm-hmm. And it just is so visually fun. It sort of gave itself a, uh, more space to breathe and have more. Fun. Space? <laughs> uh, <laughs> unintentional <laughs> puns. <laughs> anyway. I also love just... Because it's like the Space Marvel stuff, they allow themselves to like reference the some obscure characters and some of the you more obscure You can see Howard lore. the Duck in the background. There's Howard the Duck in the background. There's this the Russian, one of the Russian space dogs. I almost forgot that uh, that Sylvester Stallone was the Ravager guy in the oh, second yeah. movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You broke a heart. Yeah. Like, you can barely understand what he's saying in pretty, the usual arrangement, but he's there. Man, it's been, I, I think I've only seen it like once or twice. <laughs> yeah. Well, John and John and Faith watched it few weeks ago so it's pretty fresh in my head shout out to you guys listening not only from the other side of the door but p- probably also to the podcast from the future this is the point in the uh podcast recording session that you were walking away J- uh john and sipping going upstairs oh yeah sipping wine <laughs> down on the couch we're, we're narrating what you're doing and you don't know it right now but you will when you hear it <laughs> and it'll be funny i promise yeah Anyway, uh, beauty. The real friends was the psychological warfare we made along the way. Uh, <laughs> not psychological warfare. Mind games. That's what I was going to say. Those are different. Things. Yes, so those, those are those are interchangeable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, apart, but it goes boys. too off the rails. Uh, unity. <laughs> what brings things back together? Uh, family. Family. <laughs> Actually, though. Actually, though. Yeah, Groot it, it, literally ties them all together with his uh, cornucopia of uh, his big his big tree hug. He's he's a tree. You see, Mother Russia tree hugs you. But they are the guardians of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Them as a group, their 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 bond, their ties, their struggles, their disagreements, their pushing through them. It's it's this whole found family dealio. Mm-hmm. We turned into this whole big deal. <laughs> uh, anybody have anything else to add? Nope. No. Cool. Um, well, in that case, thanks for listening to the Palladium Papers. You can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Palapapists. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or complaints, or suggestions for future episodes, email us at palladianpapists at gmail.com. We will talk to you guys again next week. Bye. I am Groot.